Hello, and welcome to the High Street Community Church Podcast. We're so excited you're learning alongside us, and we pray this message leads you closer to the Lord and others. High Street Community Church is simply a family of friends following Jesus. God bless you as you listen. Welcome to All In, our sermon series for the fall. We start groups today, as was mentioned. I'll explain how that's all going to work. And I actually want to start us today by everyone pulling out your pew Bibles. And I want us to read the key verse that we're going to look at, Luke 10, 27. It's on page 1,105, 1,105 in your pew Bibles. Verse 27 in chapter 10. I'll read a little bit before and then we'll read 27 all together. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? Verse 27, let's read this together. And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Today we look at the heart, and I've been wrestling with this, looking at this, and we need help. Who totally understands the heart? Okay, come on up here, take my spot. Let me pray for us again. God, we're looking at the heart, at our hearts, the human heart. And we need help. We thank you for scripture. There's so much scripture on the heart. We'll just touch a little bit. Thank you for making us. We we confess that we get confused and lost without you. And we we share that our hearts are hurt and often broken. So we have this request that you would show us what loving you with all our hearts um, really means. Christ's name, amen. So, um, not a coincidence, at least I know it was for me and I sense from all of you that our hearts are touched and involved in that worship. Um, Not just by neat songs, although they played very skillfully and the songs were written well, but we're really worshiping God with our hearts. And what a great place to start as we look at, at scriptures and try and hear what God has to say to us. But if you're honest, it's also kind of scary to love God. It's scary to love anything. And C.S. Lewis, Dave gave me a quote um, by C.S. Lewis about loving and about your hearts, and I want to read it because um, we just have to admit that it's scary. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love 
is to be vulnerable. Our opening question is, are you open to loving God? And another C.S. Lewis quote is about God. Oh, he's not safe, but he's good. And we just saying he's good. It's scary to love God. I know, that's been my case. I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be uncomfortable. And um, when it comes to talking to the heart, we don't necessarily always have a good, clear picture of what the heart is. Sometimes we just think, oh, it's emotion. It's our passions, our feelings. And we'll, in a minute, we'll look at a video by the Bible Project that talks about the biblical understanding of the heart. But Dallas Willard does a great, great job really succinctly defining and explaining what the heart is. He, he says the heart, and he would say the will and the spirit, those all go together. The heart is the executive center of the self. The executive center. So your heart is where decisions are made. It directs. That's what your heart does. It directs everything, including the soul. So think of your heart as kind of the executive center of yourself. Um, if we could, go ahead and show that a Bible project video of the heart. Really good video. We'll show a number of these of in this years, series. Every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the third key word in this prayer, how Israel is called to love their God. But what does that mean? Love is a very common word in most languages, as it is in ancient Hebrew. It's pronounced ahava. It most basically refers to the kind of affection or care that one person shows another. It sometimes describes physical affection, like the king of Persia's love for Queen Esther. But there are other Hebrew words that more specifically refer to physical desire or sex. Ahava is more broad. So Abraham had Ahava. And just go ahead and interrupt me. I'm going to read a bunch of scripture through anyways. I actually even changed the, the um, order of the sermon this morning. So maybe the way I had it in the first place with the video being later. Um, why start with the heart? You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart. It's the first thing he commands. The first thing you say, why would you start with the heart? And a couple of scriptures will illuminate that for us. Um, first of all, when it comes to loving God with everything, he starts with the most core, the most inside, the most personal, the most intimate part, which is our heart. He starts there. He says, love me with this. Okay? And then um, we, we probably know this, but in Isaiah 44, verse 2, and Psalm 139, 23, those verses talk about that God made you. So he's the creator. You, apart from him, are nothing. You, you wouldn't exist. So the fact that he's our creator really lets him kind of start and, and call the shots here. And so he's saying, love me from the inside, the innermost part of you. And then he, he makes a claim in Isaiah 44. Uh, I'll read these verses, verses 6 to 8. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. So he's the only God. He's calling the shots. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare it and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. 
Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses? Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. So God is declaring his preeminence. He made you. He's the only God. And then in Deuteronomy, this is the Shema that that was talking about, where we get this um, quote that the lawyer referred to and that Jesus affirms. Um, he, it, back the Shema. So Moses is telling these people, these, you know, the Israelites, these are the most important thing. And he gives them this phrase to pray all the time. And I'm going to read it. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. So right out of the a start, God says, this is super important. Remember it. Write it down. Put it all over the place. Pray it all the time. And that prayer is the most popular prayer that, that uh, the Jews pray. It, it's, a, it's what they've done for centuries, and they still pray it. And we ought to pray it, and we're, and we're studying this. And Jesus says, hey, this is the most important thing, this. But if you keep reading in that chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, there's a verse that might get away from us if we didn't look for it. And I came across it, and, and, and this is like in the context of explaining, why do we pray this all the time? Why do we live this all the time? And the, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, like here's all these commands, to fear the Lord our God, and this key little phrase, for our good always. For our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. The question, remember, from that lawyer is, what's the deal to living to eternal life, to this full, rich life from God, obey his commands. It'll give you life. It's for our good. How are we doing? We have that? Okay, let's hit it. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is... For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed... For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing... For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the fourth key word in this prayer, heart, which in Hebrew is sometimes pronounced levav, or more often in a shorter form, lev. 
Now, different cultures throughout history have had different conceptions of how the human body works, and this is also true of the ancient Israelite writers of the Bible. They knew that the heart was an organ in the chest that sustains life. There's mention of a heart attack in the Bible, Naval, whose heart died inside of him and he became like stone. But the biblical authors talk about the heart in many other ways that might seem strange to modern readers, and that's because these Israelites had no concept of the brain or any word for it. They imagined that all of a human's intellectual activity takes place in the heart. For example, you know with your heart in the Bible. Your heart is where you understand and make connections. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom dwells in the heart. And your heart is what you use to discern between truth and error, like Solomon did when he was king. So the heart is where you think and make sense of the world, and it's where you do more. In the Bible, the heart is where you feel emotions. You feel pain in your heart, like Hannah did when she couldn't have any children. In fact, the phrase, a broken heart, comes from ancient biblical Hebrew. You also experience fear in your heart. Your heart can melt or be distressed. Your heart can even be depressed. But then, on the flip side, your heart is where you experience joy. In Hebrew, to be happy is to be good of heart, or to have a heart of joy. So the heart is the generator of physical life. It's also the center of your intellectual and emotional life, and there's more. In biblical Hebrew, the heart is where you make choices motivated by your desires. So David had it in his heart to build a temple for God. Your heart is where your affections are centered. They're called the desires of your heart. And if you really want something and go after it, it's like what Nathan said to David, whatever's in your heart, go and do it. So then, in the Bible, the heart is the center of all parts of human existence, as in the well-known proverb, guard your heart because from it flows your whole life. Now the prophet Jeremiah believed that the human heart was fundamentally broken. He said, the heart of a human is deceitful above all, irreversibly sick, who can even understand it? He had watched a whole generation turn away from God. They started sacrificing their children as if that were a good thing. So this is why in the imagination of the Hebrew prophets, the only hope for humanity is the total renewal of the human heart. Moses predicted that if Israel was ever going to love their God, their heart would need to be circumcised, which is a very vivid and surprising metaphor about removing evil and stubbornness from the human heart. David, after he committed murder and adultery, pleads with God to create in me a pure heart. The prophet Ezekiel hoped for a day when God would remove the heart of stone and give his people a new heart of soft flesh, which is very similar to Jeremiah's hope that God would write the commands of the Torah on the hearts of his people. And that brings us all the way back to the Shema. Every day, God's people are called to devote to God their whole body and mind, their feelings and their desires, their future and their failures. This is what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. helpful. They pack it in in a little chunk, a ton of scripture too. So why start with the heart? Because God created us. It's the most intimate, centered part of us. Um, And then we're to remind ourselves, and it's for our good. And I wanted to go over some of those those scriptures that are actually in that video. I want to pause a little bit longer on them, and then we'll wrap it up. So the first one I want us to look at is... um, in Psalm 51, and they'll, they'll put them up on the screen. Psalm 51, this is where David has just made his mistakes, and he's going back to the Lord, and he says in Psalm 51, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. 
The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God is our creator. I already mentioned that. Well, he created everything. And David is praying, create in me a pure heart. He's asking God to do something that only God can do. And I want to look at is, is in Proverbs 3, 5. And I call this a, a grandmother verse. I remember my grandma, she was a really godly woman and would give me some different scriptures. And this is one I put on a card and carried it around in my pocket. And it helped me a ton in college. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And there's more to that as you read, read on, but we just want to focus on that part. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust is, is really fruit or proof that you're doing this command. You, you know, you're really trusting God. It's hard, it's hard to trust God. And I remember at that season in my life, I won't go into all the details, but it was really a pivotal point where I'm like, am I going to believe God and his word for what it is and who he is? Yes or no? And it would be demonstrated in my trust. And so, um, fortunately, I was just really, I don't know, faced with the truth. Do I trust God or not? Not just saying the words, but, but like really doing my best to trust God. And that's the challenge when it comes to loving God with our heart. Do we trust him or not? And then there's a passage that the video referred to in Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct. The, the heart is deceitful above all things. Anyone wrestling with pride, this passage is a good one. Because we can think, oh, I'm not that bad. Or, you know, I have a good heart. You know, phrases that in one sense are true. You know, people are decent. And, but the reality is, the reality is all have sinned. Everybody falls short. And if we're really honest and we look at our hearts, say, you know what? Yes, my heart is deceitful. I can't cure it. But there is hope because further on in Jeremiah in 23, or verse 29, or chapter 29, verse 13, he writes, you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. God can be found. But he's not looking for us to search a little bit. He's saying search with all of your heart. This is that all-in piece. You hear this phrase coming up a lot? All, all, all. Search you with all your heart. Trust him with all your heart. And then here's the promise in Ezekiel. And this is in the message form. I think it's so helpful to hear this. I will give you a new heart. Put a new spirit in you. I'll remove the stone heart from your body and replace it with a heart that's God-willed, not self-willed. I'll put my spirit in you and make it possible for you to do what I tell you and live by my commands. Doesn't that feel good? God's a heart surgeon. Give you a transplant. I'll give you a new heart. I put a new spirit in you. I'll remove the stone heart from your body and replace it with a heart that's God-willed, not self-willed. I'll put my spirit in you and make it possible for you to do what I tell you and live by my commands. Yvette talked about this, this call to live, love God with everything is so hard. The disciples, when they were talking about who can be saved, they're like, it's not possible. And Jesus says, yeah, with man it's not. 
On your own, you can't do it. You cannot lift yourself up by your bootstraps. Can't be done. I tried it as a kid. <laughs> but with God, all things are possible. It feels bold for us as a church to say, we really want to take this serious. We want to do this. We want to love God with everything. It is bold, but not our boldness. It's on God's boldness. We're saying, God, give us the power. Give us this ability. Give us this transplanted new heart so we can love you with everything we've got. That's the call. And the last passage we'll look at real briefly is Colossians 3.1. Set your heart on things above. Set your heart on things above. I came across a... Uh, a video this week, and it was about a rock climber, and the, and the, the video when I had, had some kind of like crazy stuff in there, so I'm like, I probably shouldn't show that in church, but, um, but, the, but the point of the video is they were saying, nobody's dedicated their life like this rock climber has to his sport, and he, he thinks about it day and night, he's always working on it, and he was an amazing climber, and it caught my eye because I thought, now there's someone that's put their heart into something. I like hobbies. Some of my hobbies, it's tempting to put my whole heart in there. But they're just hobbies. They're diversions. They're fun. They're actually gifts from God. But we're not to put our heart into them, not our whole heart. And I thought, man, if we could be, if I could be like this rock climber, the amount of workouts, they said, oh, when everyone else has climbed all day and they need a break, this guy goes out and climbs some more. I'm like, whew, that sounds exhausting. He could do pull-ups, one-armed pull-up with two fingers. I can do them with three fingers, but two, that's a little, <laughs> one-arm pull-up. I can do one-arm let-goes. <laughs> Fully dedicated. I love the end of that video. It says, it's talking really about the goal or the aim of loving God with all of our hearts, all of the time. It says, we devote Here's what we're after. We devote to God your whole body and mind, your whole feelings, your whole desires, your future, and your failures. Here's the request. Here's the invitation. Do you say, God, I choose you. I choose your ways. I'm yours. Ongoing, not just one time. When we become a Christian, we say, did you give your heart to God? That's the call. Have you given your life to God? That's an ongoing deal. That's not a, I did it one time and then I, you know, I did that thing. I signed the contract or whatever. It is you want. No, that's a, I'm giving, I've given and I'm continuing to give my heart to God. You're saying yes, I say yes to you, God, and I say yes to your ways. That's what we're talking about. So at High Street, we've done something um, that we're going to do this fall. And I showed you, I think on a slide, did I show you the little tokens we're going to use? These are gambling tokens. Life's a gamble. Are you all in? <laughs> Not really into gambling, but I am into tokens that would remind us. And I've been carrying this around for a couple weeks, lost it many times. And um, it's an encouraging thing. It's, it's just got our challenge, you know, hey, love God with everything and love everyone always. And Many times I pull it out or I touch it and I'm like, ah, I'm off track. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Spirit is, is having me run into that at opportune times through the day when I'm loving myself with all I've got instead of loving God or loving others. But it's been a really, I, I mean, I want to try it first and say, hey, is this reminder helpful? Yes, very helpful. It's also encouraging because I've been caught a few times 
loving God. I'm like, oh, I'm on track. And that's what a reminder is, just to help us go like, okay, this is something my heart wants to follow God. I just don't always do it. So I, I need a token to help remind me. So I'm going to pass those out groups because I, want, I don't want necessarily everybody. If you want one, you can have one. Let's just say that first off. But I want you to choose to say, I choose not only as this is reflecting my choice to follow God, but really I choose to be reminded. That's what we're saying yes to with that little token is I choose to be reminded when I'm doing well and when I'm not doing well. I want to I take this commit this token to be in my pocket, and maybe I'll, the token will remind me to tell someone else, hey, we loving God with all we got? So that's what we're doing with tokens. Groups. Um, we're going to meet six different times in groups. We'll meet, um, I think it might work, three, and then potluck, and then three. We won't meet in our groups with potluck. We'll just enjoy food and each other, which we do so well. But we'll be in groups, and groups, I would just say roughly, you want to have your small group about five to eight people. You can do smaller than that, you can do bigger than that, but I won't be happy with you. <laughs> five to eight people is a good number because then, you know, enough people are there that you have good conversations, but not too many, so that everyone gets a chance to share. And we have nine different groups, and I will um, share the name of the group leader and their location, and I'd love for them just to stand. I have clipboards up here for you leaders and extra papers and pens, and the leader has a roster that they'll fill out. They just want your name and either your phone number or your email address because they want to pray for you or just check in with you, be able to contact you. So you'll go to a group today during the equipping hour, which is between roughly 11 and 12. So if you're in here and still talking at 11, leave and go get in a group. Unless your group is in here, then you're free to be in here. But... Um, our service will end, and then we'll have a little uh, extra time a little bit, but by 11 o'clock, get to a group, okay? Does that make sense? And then get in that group. If the group is too big, move on to another group. Um, if it's too small, go grab a few more people and get that group viable. I will walk around, and then I will just check in on your group, and I will hand out those tokens for you to give to each other. So the first group is um, Mark and Janet. Are either of them in here? There they are. And they're going to meet in the ACE. So one way to choose, if you're not like, what group should I be in? If a leader stands up real close to you, maybe Mark is your group leader. So if you're sitting near Mark, join his group. Uh, Aaron and Sharon, they're in the back there. And they will also be in the ACE over there. It's a big enough room to have a couple of groups. Um, so again, if you're sitting near them or you want to be in their group, they're leaders. Uh, Norm and Jason. Jason's up there in the balcony. Norm's right there. And they are the most emotional people in here because they're going to meet in the cry room. <laughs> they cry. Huh? Oh, they have donuts. It's, it's, it's and muffins. It's already begun, folks. Group competition. So if you want to know where the cry room is, go through that back little door right there. It's kind of behind that wall. It's a neat little room to get emotional today and enjoy sugar. Uh, Nick and Lenny. They're right there, and they will be meeting in the uh, boardroom, which is if you just walked out the door, you'd probably see it right there. It's in the building right there in the boardroom. Big, big giant table, great spot to meet. Uh, Frank and Ken. Is Frank here? Just Ken's here today. Okay, Ken's leading, and they will be in my office, so which is in that building over there, and I expect you to get all my work done for this coming week, please. <laughs> They're in the pastor's office. And then Eric, 
He's right here, and they meet in the sanctuary. So if you just want to stay in here, probably make a group of, of circle up right there. Uh, Dave and Carrie, they're leading our college ministry. And, what's, and college and young adults, good job. And they actually will have the best food. I guarantee it. They have a full meal. More than donuts and muffins. It doesn't matter. You get to eat it. Yeah, we have wonderful cooks. So if you're college and young adults, they will be right through this door right in there in the fireside room, and that's where they uh, meet every week, but you got to be college or young adults. So I know we're all hungry, but only some of us are chosen to eat such good food <laughs> and be led by such great leaders. True. Drew. Hey, Drew. Bagels, so they will meet in the youth room, and then they will probably, yeah, well, you'll figure that out. I won't get into that right now, church band. Mabel, is Mabel in here? There's Mabel. Yay, Mabel! Mabel's got a neat group, and they will also meet in the pastor's office, just not at the same time. All those teachers that are teaching our kids that would love to be in a group and aren't in a group will stick around for a little bit, long, a little bit longer after church, and they meet in the pastor's office and go over this stuff together, so... Neat um, opportunity. I love that, that they're willing to serve and then still want to be in a group. So that's what goes on there. Um, so again, we will meet six times in groups. Um, today is the first time that we meet in a group. It starts at about 11. And I, um, I'll encourage you this way. Um, one of the best kind of groups you can be in, and we, have, we host some here at our church, are groups for AA. And they are really honest and really caring. And one of the things they do at the start is say, hi, I'm Danny, and I'm an alcoholic, or whatever you know, they say around the thing. So I would encourage you to maybe start your meeting like this. Hi, I'm Danny. I don't always love God with my whole heart, and I don't always love my neighbor as myself. Help! It's a posture of humility that we can come into a meeting like that, or a group like that, because we all feel less than, or maybe we feel higher than we should, and it's just a great place to start to say, I want to be in this group, and I want to learn from you, and I want to encourage you, okay? So that's how I would encourage us to start our groups, because that relational connection and that humility really do um, bring out a greatness in us um, for our church and for each other. Um, some of you also, and we've done this before, and it's been really wonderful, but I know there's a few of you in here that are thinking, and some of you can't go to a group, and that's fine. That's, uh, don't feel guilted to have to go to a group. But if you're kind of one of those people like, I don't know if I want to go to a group, I'm one of those people. I don't like new things, and, and social situations might be challenging. But the first or second one, once you get past those, they're the best thing ever. They're the best thing ever. And consider this. This might push you over the edge. It might not be going to the group for what you need, you might need to be in that group for what you can help somebody else with. That's one of the reasons I encourage people to go to the church, is they'll say, well, church was okay today. Well, you're the church, right? We need you to be at the church, even if you come here with a brokenness or a challenge. Which reminds me, oh, there's a second to last thing I'll share. When it comes to the heart, what if you have a broken heart? And, and we're called to love God with our whole hearts. And you're like, my heart's broken. And maybe you feel like God has broken your heart. That's a really tough one. God, why did you do this? Or why didn't you do this? How are you supposed to love God with a broken heart? That's a real and it's a tough question. And I hope you can talk about it in your groups. But I'll just share this. Um, one in scripture is 
God claims, he promises, so you can hold him to this, that he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. In fact, this passage in Luke that we're looking so intently at when the lawyer says, hey, what's it, what do I get to get to eternal life? Love God with everything and love, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, well, who's my neighbor? It's not coincidence that Jesus follows up with a story of the Good Samaritan who really, Christ is a Good Samaritan and he heals, he binds up the wounds. And so God's challenge for you with a broken heart is you couldn't be in a better place. In fact, you're a prime candidate for you to experience God by offering you a broken heart. God loves to take that heart and mend it, heal it. That's what he's best at. It may, it may, he may do that over a while. He may do it quickly. I don't know. God is God, and, and how he works is mysterious to me. But if you're one of those people with a broken heart, um, and, and I'm not saying you have to open up your heart and tell everybody in your group, but, but allow God into your heart and to lead you and to heal you. And I wouldn't be surprised if in a group like this, or certainly in a church like this, that God can use people, and ultimately he, he himself will heal your broken heart. You know, as a pastor, part of my job is to really point you to God's best. And I can't remember who said it, but they said, you know, a preacher's job is to um, work on those with hard hearts to soften them and encourage those with broken hearts to, to heal them. So I know I, I can do my best sharing that, but I want to just end our time by asking God to do that very thing. Okay, let's pray. God, um, I don't have power to soften hearts. I don't have power to heal hearts. But I can point to you. And many in our church declared these things to you before our message. God, you are the healer of broken hearts. Even when we are stubborn, angry, you're kind enough to break our stone hearts, to replace them with a heart of flesh, a soft heart. You can create new hearts, pure hearts in us. So we just pause this morning as we've heard your word, we've sung to you in your presence, and we claim your goodness. Have your way with us. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the High Street Community Church weekly message. We hope you were encouraged to follow Jesus. For more, please subscribe to our podcast or visit us online at hscchurch.org.